All right, this is the Cultural Masonry Podcast, episode number two. I am Kevin. And I'm Paige. And today we're interviewing KJ Bueller. KJ is currently in the process of starting at St. Giles Christian Academy in Leavenworth, Kansas. And uh, KJ, why don't you tell us about yourself, who you are, and kind of uh, what has led you down this road towards starting a school? Yeah, excellent. So yeah, episode two brought to you by St. Giles <laughs> Christian Academy in Leavenworth, Kansas. Nice. Available online at stgiles.academy. Nice. I didn't know that. That's so <laughs> I am, it's brand new. Um, I am um, a husband of Laura. Uh, Laura and I got married in 2014. So we're been strong on seven years, seven and a half years of marriage. Um, I am the father of three little girls so far, um, three little girls, um, one boy on the way, and then one little boy in heaven that we will meet at the last day named Zebulon. Um, so I live in Greenwood, Missouri, um, basically a Kansas city native my whole life. What's Um, a fun fact about Greenwood, Missouri? (laughs) There is a fun fact. It's all over our signs. It is the 2017, I think, safest city uh, in Missouri. And since then, the page (laughs) always, the number of violent or, uh, uh, property crimes has gone up dramatically. So and you'll notice it's not the 2020 uh, yeah. safest city in America. Page really. comments on that sign every time we pass it coming to your house. Yeah. 2017 safest city. Sen- don't since then don't talk about it. It's, not, it's a sore subject. <laughs> Sorry to derail um, your. <laughs> yeah, Go ahead. So we live here. Um, Laura actually bought this. House. She lived here before um, we got married. So um, I grew up in Independence, Missouri, um, and then. Spent five years in Atlanta and then came back to um, Kansas City, lived in Lee Summit, went to Lee Summit West High School. So I went to UMKC um, uh, for a software development degree, software engineering. Um, Graduated from the School of Computing and Engineering there, UMKC. Um, I don't even remember what year now, though. Um, 2012. 2012. That was a long time ago. So, um, yeah, so I'm a professional software developer, which you know means I just type on a keyboard all day. Um, yeah, I've been a Christian for about 11 years now. Um, it's been a wild ride, a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a public school kid, um, my whole life, public school kid, public university, school of computing and engineering, um, you know, at UMKC. So, um, n- zero at all experience with um, classical Christian education, classical or Christian, (laughs) and barely any education. (laughs) So, um, but our oldest daughter, Talitha, she turned, um, she turned three. And Laura, my lovely bride said to me, "Um, five is not that far away, you need to start thinking about what you want to do for this kid's education. I was like, five is so far away. I don't need to do anything yet. That's way too much planning. Um, but I did start listening to some some lectures, some podcasts on education, and um, I knew that growing up growing up in the public schools and acting the way that I did, that I I definitely didn't want to send my daughter off to the public schooling system um, to have her you know be trained up by the public school system for you know eight hours a day for. You know, 12 years, 13 years, if you count kindergarten, right? Whatever it is. Um, and so I started looking around and reading books 
as one does. Um, started reading books, and then I started reading the wrong books, or the right books, I guess. Depends on who you ask, but I got a hold of um, Douglas Wilson's The Case for Classical Christian Education. Um, I actually think I read that one first, maybe, but that's the second book. He also wrote um, Recovering the Lost Tools of Learning was the first one about classical Christian education. And I just fell in love with the model, um, or at least the model on paper, which is not sometimes not the, right. the actual <laughs> model on the ground that you get to see day to day. So um, I started investigating classical Christian education um, then and you know found that the options were slim. Um, unless you can't afford like $11,000 a year in tuition mm -hmm. yeah. per kid, yeah. per kid, no covenantal household <laughs> rates per kid. Um, and so, uh, one of the books, and I, so, so I read one book and another book and another book and another book. And then, um, I was convinced. And then one of those books, um, I ought to figure out which one it was, cause it's really, I need to blame that person for ever now. But, uh, one of those books said, if there's not a suitable um, classical Christian school in your area, then you need to start one. And I've always been, um, my wife would say crazy, a little crazy, um, <laughs> maybe a lot crazy. And then it's, it's, it's tapered down to a little crazy as I've, as I've grown older, but, um, I just said, all right, I'm in, let's do it. Can't be that hard, right? <laughs> How hard could it be? Um, so, I started talking to my uh, my bride, who is much more level-headed and always will help me to count the cost of the tower before we start to build it. And she said, it definitely sounds crazy, but it sounds like the right kind of crazy. So let's investigate it. So we started, that was um, like three years ago now. So we started reading a whole bunch of books and, um, you know, I got a hold of a little book by a guy named Brian Daigle um, called, So You Want to Start a School? And it's very Same. small, but <laughs> to the point. And it's, there's no fluff. There's no educational. There's no pedagogy. There's nothing. It's just, um, it's just the where the rubber meets the road. Of here are the practical things that you actually, the practical work that goes into actually starting a school, getting it from an idea to doors opening, day one. Um, and so we started praying about um, finding a community. We um, we were I don't even remember where we were at that point. We were. And we were at this house, but we were members of a little Baptist church, you know, 15, 15 ish minutes away, a little rural Baptist church. And so, um, other things have happened since then. We are no longer uh, Baptist or members of that, you know, little rural Baptist church. Yeah. Um, so we started looking for, um, an opportunity, a, a church, a community of believers to partner with, because that was what every book said you need. Um, you need a dedicated core group of families and you can do anything. You, you can surmount any, any obstacle. If you have a dedicated group, um, of, you know, prayerful, prayerful and, um, hardworking families. And so we started looking for that. Um, and we had a really hard time, um, finding anything that was actually really discouraging for a while. And then COVID hit. Right. And so then, um, I mean, forget trying to open a business or start, you know, start a school or right. file business paperwork. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, especially in Jackson County, Missouri, um, mm. during that time. And so um, we couldn't even find a church that had doors open. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, um, so that was, you know, 2020 was its own thing. So we pumped the brakes. I, I had, a, I had enrolled um, at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and 
um, cause my, my buddy said, one of my, one of my really good friends said, um, you know, you're a software developer, you're a smart guy, but, um, you might want to consider getting some educational bona fides, um, you know, so that people will say, why am I trusting, entrusting my children to a software developer <laughs> to educate them, you know? Right. Um, and so I said, I said, that's, that's very wise. And so Midwestern Baptist here in Kansas city had a, has a, um, a master's in Christian education, I think is what it's called, but they also, you can get their MDiv, their master of divinity. Um, and you can emphasize in Christian education. So I started doing that. Um, then the end of the school year. So I, I was in 2019 to 2020. I, I did a year at Midwestern and then obviously right before finals, you know, my last four weeks of class or something like that is <clears throat> online and crazy, crazy world turned on its head. Right. Um, and so um, we pumped the brakes on starting the school and I was going to continue my education. But I actually um, decided that Midwestern wasn't helping me um, to get any of the actual training that I needed to open a school. Um, it was great. I learned Greek. I learned, you know, I got to take some great classes from some great professors. Um, and I really enjoyed the work. But the work, I mean, I'm a full-time software developer. I've got... Um, how many kids do I have? I already said it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I, at the time, I don't remember how old my kids were. My kids now, they're, you know, five, three, and two. And so it was like, um, it was a crazy time. That's I was way too busy. Schedule. And then I was way too busy, but I was keeping afloat um, with my schoolwork. But then I needed to start researching classical. I needed to be reading about classical Christian education because I am a um, computer science trained um, you know, I took a math class every call every semester of college, except my last one. Um, you know, and I, I like nothing, know nothing about the liberal arts. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to do all that. I needed to do all that reading. And I just, I decided that Midwestern just wasn't equipping me to do, um, what I wanted to do, which is start a classical Christian school. So I, mm -hmm. I stopped in Midwestern and I, um, applied to new St. Andrews college. And so I am now just over a year into the, uh, masters of um, classical Christian studies at New St. Andrews College. Okay. Um, loving that. It's going great. It's it's exactly what I needed. Um, so um, you do that all on, online, I take it. Yeah. So it's it's New all St. online. In it's Idaho. Yeah. It's in it's in the what they call um, the chimney. Of I got you. <laughs> Super north. It's almost Canada, I think. Um, so yeah, it's it's way up north. Um, yeah. So it's it's all online. Um, and then I go. I, I just went actually once for a week this summer. Um, so there's a residency program that you do over the summer. So it's basically, a, it's a program designed for uh, teachers. Um, and so it's, you know, all online during the, the school year. Um, and then in the summertime, when most teachers are off, it's much more intensive. And you can go do the uh, the residency program. So I, we did that um, this summer. And I'm currently taking a class on Thomas Aquinas and medieval political thought. <laughs> yeah, so. Sounds uh, um, <laughs> very interesting. Yes. yes. Yeah. Sounds like you have some cool stories. Out of some that. of it is very interesting. <laughs> okay. Some of it is. Yeah. Sounds gripping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I think you already mentioned it a little bit. So what makes uh, the school that you're hoping to start distinctive from other schools, whether that be like private school or even well public school or even like a homeschooling route? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Family would for, for background, I was homeschooled and Paige was public schooled. So public that's school. your audience here. But I did do 
in college, I was introduced to a classical education through an honors program that mm. I was involved in, graduated yes. from, however you phrase that. So <laughs> roughly familiar, but only at a collegiate level, mm. not, not in the sense of like a K through 12 level, which I always was like, how do you, I know that there are classical schools for grammar school, but I was like, I don't know how you apply, like what I was doing in college, reading Thomas Aquinas, mm -hmm. various things mm -hmm. to like what you're teaching a first grader, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's difficult yeah. is, is yeah. the, is the answer <laughs> that I think a lot of people have learned. But um, yeah, so um, what makes us different? That's a good question. So A, the big thing is that we are a classical Christian school, not um, a standard run-of-the-mill Christian school. And so what that what that means, um, and it's it's now becoming one of those words that is like a buzzword, you know. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, you can have more. You can have Latin programs that are more classical than the other Latin <laughs> programs. So that starts to get annoying um, because I just despise that kind of stuff. Like I just, you know, yeah, I'm a software developer. A, I, want, I want you to shoot me straight. Yeah. I don't want I don't uh, not want a marketing either. technique yeah. here. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, so St. Giles Christian Academy, um, we are a classical Christian school. Um, that is meaningless to some people. So, uh, but in it all goes back. It all started when. <laughs> oh, um, <boy. laughs> so in 1947, um, a British woman named Dorothy Sayers, uh, she didn't actually. It was an essay. Um, it was released as an essay, but she actually delivered it as a as a talk, um, as an address, um, and it's called "The Lost Tools of Learning." And she was very concerned in 1947, mind you. So keep always keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. When she's critiquing the modern education system, she's critiquing, um, you know, the education system that Winston Churchill would have come out of, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, but he was classically trained. So anyway, <laughs> but so she's critiquing the her modern um, education system uh, as you know lacking. Uh, a tremendous amount, um, way too much over-specialization of knowledge. And that was in, you know, again in 1947. Um, and, you know, just not training uh, men and women to think and not giving them, that's what the name of the essay is, The Lost Tools of Learning. Um, and so sh she was advocating a return to what she called the medieval uh, trivium. Um, the trivium is uh, Latin. So there's a lot of Latin. Um, the, the, tri the trivium is Latin for uh, three ways or three roads. Uh, and it's basically just a cool way to say that there were three main subjects that students would study before they um, were considered, you know, proficient and ready to go study other things. And those were the uh, grammar, dialectic or logic, because nobody knows what dialectic means, um, and rhetoric. <clears throat> and so students would go through in the um, primary school years, right? So you have primary school and secondary school, and we still kind of have some of that language left over today. Uh, but the primary school was, or a grammar school, you've heard it called a grammar school, right? So it's grammar, the grammar years. Um, and, you know, those are basically the early years where you're trying to get, I mean, everybody's, you have, you have small kids, um, you may not have started, started any of this yet, but the, the first and most important goal uh, is to get them uh, literate, right? right? They need to learn how to read and write. Um, and that takes a tremendous amount of training. Um, but once you get past that, you want them to be able to learn how to write well and speak well, right? Not and use proper grammar. And so, um, the grammar school and then the um, 
you know, the logic phase and then the rhetoric phase. And so she, she, Dorothy Sayers advocated for a return um, to the medieval trivium um, in order to train students how to think properly. She was very concerned, um, mm -hmm. 1947. And so one of her big things in her article is, or uh, her address was, um, she was very concerned that the vast majority of men and women in Europe, uh, maybe not the vast majority, that's not, but a, a, a notable amount of the men and women in Europe had been caught up um, and been, um, you know, they had the wool pulled over their eyes, so to speak, uh, by Hitler and his propaganda. Mm -hmm. And she thought that is, in, in it, one of the things that she says in there is that in an age where, um, you know, literacy is at its highest, right? It's, it's peak as, as far as that point in history. Um, the fact that so many people would have been led astray by, um, you know, propaganda coming out of Germany is, is inexcusable. Um, we should have been able to see through it and our student, we need to train our students to think clear enough that this doesn't happen again. Yeah. Um, and so she gives this address in somewhere in England. I don't even, I don't even know, probably London. Right. Um, but somewhere in, somewhere in England and it's 1947. And I think she maybe got a few pats on the back and people said, yeah, cool. And one of the things she actually said in her in her address was, "I don't think anybody would actually be crazy enough to try this." Obviously, that's a 21st century American <laughs> way of saying it. But she said, I, "I don't think anybody will ever actually try this." Um, and so then, um, some people in in 1981, I think, uh, in the early early 80s at least, um, some people in North Idaho decided they got a hold of Dorothy Sayers' essay. And they read it when they were trying to start a, a Christian school in their little small town that didn't have any Christian schools. Uh, and they said, this sounds interesting. Um, let's try this. So they founded Logos School in uh, Moscow, Idaho, um, which became the very first. Um, I think there are a couple other ones, actually, that kind of sprang up right around the same time. This is kind of strange. One of them is in, um, I think, either Lawrence, Kansas or Topeka, Kansas. Hmm. Um, and it was just a couple years after uh, Logos School was founded in Moscow and before anybody knew what was happening in, in, in Moscow. Um, and so they start the school, Logos School, and it's, I think their first year was 1981. And then 10 years later, so an entire decade passes as they're figuring out how to implement Dorothy Sayers, um, you know, um, pedagogy and, and her vision of, a, of, a, of what an educational her educational philosophy. And then um, I think it was Crossway. Crossway Books did a, a series of books on basically almost, I think it actually was, I don't remember the name of it, um, but I think it, it was a lot like how to build a Christian culture. Oh. Um, yeah. And so, one, they, <laughs> so one of them is they wanted to do one on education yeah. and they had this guy in Idaho who started a school that was growing and, and blowing up and people were raving about it. Um, and so they asked Doug Wilson to write a book uh, in the series, and he wrote um, Recovering the Lost Tools of Learning. So mm -hmm. kind of going back to that Dorothy Sayers essay, The Lost Tools of Learning, he wrote Recovering the Lost Tools of Learning. Mm -hmm. uh, and Logos School had been open for, I think, about a decade at that point, so they had learned a great deal. Mm -hmm. um, and so then when the book came out, um, basically a few, I think, the book was wildly successful, and people were tired in 1991. So a long time ago, um, 
I was two. Uh, in 1991, um, they a lot of people were tired of um, the public school system, and you know, thought homeschooling was was a pretty good alternative, but wanted to wanted more, wanted to to be able to start their own schools, mm-hmm. uh, and so he started getting. Um, ridiculous amounts of letters because they probably were actual letters to anyone. <laughs> Back in uh, people saying we would love to do that help us um and so it got to so he's doug wilson is a pastor um and now he's teaching at a school he's on the board of the school and you know probably functioning day to day in a lot of different roles at the school and now uh, and he's got three kids and now he's getting all these he's getting inundated with all these letters <laughs> He has to, his wife has to take over the letter correspondence. Um, and so there's just so many letters coming in. So eventually they decided uh, this is too much for one person or two people to do. Mm-hmm. And so they founded uh, an organization called uh, the Association of Classical Christian Schools, the ACCS. Um, and so now I haven't checked recently, but um, there are over 300, maybe 350 ACCS schools mm-hmm. um, in, not just in the nation, there are some. Uh, outside of America, which is really interesting. Um, yeah, I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, oh, I've just completely forgotten his name. Uh, Early Rain Covenant Church in somewhere in China. Their their pastor was arrested, oh. still in prison, actually, I think, um, yeah. for, you know, it was big news. He founded a classical Christian school okay. over there wow. um, in his church. That's awesome. uh, yeah, you want to talk about fighting the man. Yeah. Um, that's <laughs> just amazing let me just so let me get this timeline straight so dorothy sayers gave her address in 40 what 47 and it didn't really catch on at all until 81 81 and then it caught and then it really didn't catch on until 91 91. wow okay yep it's a slow burn yep (laughs) and and now um, i don't know how many students i wouldn't even want to take it take a stab at it but there are over there are over 300 accs schools mm-hmm. and that's just the acc that's just involved in the actual organization of the accs so um one of the things that has come out since um the accs founded is a uh, huge explosion in classical homeschooling so mm-hmm. um, classical conversations right yeah. is this huge organization i mean i should have looked up how many how many families are involved in classical conversations it's it's great. It's a lot. And it's great. It's right. It's, it's great. They, they are doing the Lord's work. Um, and so, yeah, so classical education has become, um, a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that comes some interesting, you know, growing pains and spats and all that kind of stuff. But, of course, yeah. um, nobody's immune from it. So yeah. Um, so why, why did it, why did it catch on like it did? Do you think, um, like, like wild, wild, fire in 91 yeah so flower um i I think in 91 people were protestants so here's an interesting thing um catholics have been much better about founding private schools um, in america than protestants have um because from the beginning the catholics could could see uh the protestants have control of the public schooling system so they didn't view the public schooling system as belonging to them. So they knew that they, if they wanted to um, train their children the way that they wanted to train their children, um, that they needed to found their own schools. Uh, and unfortunately, us Protestants got, um, well, they were right. We were in control of the public schooling system for a very short time. <laughs> um, and then 
I think most Protestants just couldn't shake that. Um, and the idea of building institutions is scary. And um, like, where do I start? And nobody wants to be the nobody wants to be the guy that says, "No, I can do that. I can build an institution." You know, how hard could it be? Um, that's that's you know that's a foolish thing. Yeah, <laughs> it could be very hard. Just <laughs> said that 14 minutes ago. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it caught on, I think, because Protestants were um, seeing, like, we have a serious problem going on in the, in, you know, in the public schooling system. Uh, this is not our place anymore. We need to get out. Um, and I think some people viewed homeschooling as not really, like, an, a viable alternative, which um, is silly. Um, you know, of course, homeschooling is a viable alternative. Um, but there are there are pros to both homeschooling and and pros and cons to homeschooling and private schooling. And you, know, you just have to, each family needs to make their decision. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think one of the things, um, I re we read a book, we read a, we read a book. Believe it or not. <laughs> um, we read, um, Tom Garfield wrote basically the biography of Logos School. So he was the very first um, principal, administrator, headmaster, whatever you want to call him, um, boss man. Uh, so he was the first principal of Logos when they opened their doors in 1981. And so the, the the biography is basically here's the story. Everybody's everybody's asked how did this happen and what were the first forty years like? They're just so 1981. That means 2021. They I actually just saw they had a huge concert, um, oh, wow. a, a forty year you know birthday, a forty year mm -hmm. celebration, um, and they had the uh, the Logos Dad's band. Um, uh, I think playing, I heard about play, that. Playing a bunch of uh, awesome. they had some great cat uh, catchphrase like. Um, bringing classic rock to classical education, you know, or something like that. It was really awesome. Uh, but anyway, 40 years. And so we read, we read that book when we decided, Hey, we, wanna, we think we want to start a school. Let's read the book about the first school that got started, right? How'd they do it? Um, insanely. That's how they did it. Crazy. So, so much Holy spirit. And, um, they didn't even have energy drinks. They just probably had Folgers coffee. In, in 81. Right. Oh, Man. So anyway, um, yeah. So um, one of the things that they talked about in that book is that it start classical Christian, especially Logos school, started getting a lot of attention when um, you know they, they couldn't really afford to do sports. They couldn't really afford to do a lot of the things that a, a lot of private schools were doing. But one thing that they could afford to do um, was um, debate. So they oh. they started entering into um, debate and mock trials. Yeah. So. Um, and then this tiny little school in nowhere, northern Idaho, that no one has ever heard of, started um, trouncing yeah. these big private schools from New York City in nationals um, in mock trial. Uh, and people started saying, what in the world is happening? <laughs> it turns out that if you teach your children um, for, you know, two to three years in most classical Christian schools, study formal logic. Yeah. Um, they can spot logical fallacies and they can, <laughs> they know how to argue. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, uh, I think it was Dorothy Sayers in her, in her essay, she said, um, you know, some, someone will object to teaching, uh, teaching a kid, especially, a, it's usually middle school. So middle school is, is usually the time when uh, for study of formal logic is introduced and someone will no doubt, no doubt object. Um, why in the world would I teach my middle schooler? <laughs> how to argue um and you know the answer was um i think the answer she gave was um 
they're already going to be argumentative. They're already unbearable. I actually, I think is what she said. They're already unbearable, um, unbearably argumentative. So if they're going to be argumentative, they may as well do it well. Right. <laughs> you may as well be good at it. Right. You may as well be good at it. Um, and so, yeah. So I think that was the thing that got got them a lot of attention. Is, Whoa, these, these, these students can really think and they can think through an argument from premise to premise yeah. and they can find the holes in it and then a study of rhetoric right like who studies rhetoric um you know what <clears throat> i took a one public speaking class um you know in college um and that's only because <laughs> you know i was a software developer so i think the only reason i had to do that is because i was doing two years at a community college uh -huh. knocking out general ed right yeah. um Nobody thinks software developers should speak, let alone, <laughs> let alone speak well. Um, yeah, I'll pause it. I... Okay, so if you could give us like the quick um, elevator pitch of what classical Christian education is and what that means. Um, yeah, hopefully it's an elevator. In, in your, <laughs> it's a very tall the Empire State Building or something like that. No. <laughs> okay, so yeah, classical Christian education basically has um, a, a few tenets. The main one is that um, it's it's an educational process broken down into um, three main tenets of grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Um, and so the grammar stage, um, one of the things that Dorothy Sayers was absolutely adamant about is that if you want to teach, if you want your students to learn grammar well, you need to teach them a rigorous grammar. And it's difficult to do in English. And so one of the things that she, that is unique, uh, not unique, um, but uh, you know, a hallmark of classical education is the study of Latin. And so she advocated the study of Latin, not um, necessarily so that you can read, you know, great Latin works of literature in the original language or something like that, you know. Impress um, your friends. <laughs> right, exactly. But so not that, but because the the Latin language, she, she didn't say just Latin. She said, I like, I, I would argue for Latin, but she said, um, you basically need a... Um, you need a you need a language with a, a rigorous grammar. Um, and she said, I would advise Latin because it's an inflected language, um, but Greek, you know, uh, ancient, not ancient Greek, uh, Koine Greek, you know, New Testament Greek is also an inflected language. Um, but she said Latin is a is an inflected language, which means the end of the endings on the words change based on the words function in the sentence. So you can tell by looking through a sentence what the subject is, um, you know, if there are any prepositions, if what the object of the sentence is, both the direct object and the indirect object. And um, if you're like me, I didn't know what an indirect object was at age 30. Um, I probably learned it and forgot it at some point, but it wasn't something that stuck with me. And then I was sitting in a seminary level Greek class going, I'm sorry, what? I need to know what an indirect object is to study the New Testament in its original language. What are you talking about? Um, so I actually did, I tell people this all the time, I learned more about English grammar in a year of seminary Greek than I ever did. And I graduated from, I graduated from a pretty decent university with honors in the School of Computing and Engineering. So it's not like they found me on the streets or something. Right. Like, like I, I did, I did work really hard at studying, um, but apparently not that. Um, and so that was one of the things, Latin, um, and then a, a, a rigorous study of grammar, um, and you study grammar through studying the Latin language. Um, and so that's basically the early years. Um, and then this, when you have that rigorous study, so it, it 
you know, one of the things that we like to say in the classical in the classical Christian education world is that it gives it gives children a, a, a precise mind. And sometimes that's a little bit of a fluffy, like that's not, a, you can't Marketing, measure that. Yeah, yeah, right. You can't measure that, right? It's one of those call my bluff things, but you know, it teaches, it teaches precision of thought because you have to be precise because Latin is a very precise language. Um, and so, you know, there are, man, there's, if you just do a Google for why should I study Latin, there are a ton of benefits to studying Latin, higher math scores, higher mm -hmm. physics scores, higher SAT scores, higher ACT scores. Um, you know, uh, knowing most of our, I think it's like 90% of the English of our, uh, not English, I'm sorry, the Romance languages, 90% of the vocabulary from the Romance languages, especially the, the multi-syllabic words are derived from Latin. So, yeah. you know, there's tons of benefits, but Latin is definitely one of the, one of the, the hallmarks of classical Christian education. And then I would say, um, you know, studying formal logic, you know, I don't, I studied, I took one semester of logic in college because I needed, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but computers and com computer programs rely a great deal on having the right logic in order to execute yeah. properly. Uh, and so I'm one of the only people that I, I know who, who took a formal logic class. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just because I was, it was one semester in college, which is, you know, barely dipping your toe in the right. water. In the water. Um, and so, yeah, so lot formal study of logic and, you know, and then you teach you teach children how to uh, win arguments, um, which is a dangerous thing to do to a middle schooler. Uh, so you teach you teach students to win arguments when they study logic, and then um, you know you teach you teach them how to win people when you, mm -hmm. they study rhetoric. Because having the right syllogism and you know and an argument that works is not the same thing as as being um, able to persuade someone mm -hmm. who is wrong, legitimately wrong, objectively wrong. Um, but if you just crush them over the head with, uh, logical fallacies, right, people aren't very logical. Right. right. It, it typically doesn't, doesn't win a lot of people. Yeah. So you want to teach, we want to teach our students how to be persuasive, how to speak well. Um, so yeah, that's basically the elevator pitch. Hopefully it was a, a semi short one. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, one of the things that stood out to me um, the most, all of that was pretty cool. But like I said, I was a computer science guy. I'm like, I don't know, man, liberal arts education sounds like a really great way to be unemployed. As <laughs> a, you know, cause that's all I was ever taught. You go to college to get a job and you probably want the job that pays the most. Uh, and so we, you know, that was, that was my thinking. Um, but one of the things that stuck out to me in all these books that I was reading on classical Christian education was the fact that they they all emphasized um, that in classical education we you do not silo the subjects so you do not just put up these mental barriers between um, all of the subjects you teach all of the subjects as parts of an integrated whole because you want to train the whole student um, and you don't just want to have that kid who's really good at math and can barely make it through a sentence, right? That's not a well-rounded kid. Um, so all truth comes from God um, in any subject, and it all points to Christ. And, you know, one of the things that I read over and over again is that, you know, they, these people are telling their students, what you learn in Bible class is not to be stored away um, until you get, you know, back to Bible class. You take that information out in your biology lab. And, you know, the same thing goes for astronomy, mathematics, music, right? Fill in, fill in the blank. Um, all of this is working together. 
the information is not siloed. All subjects are taught as, um, you know, parts of an integrated whole and under the kingship, right? It, it, all, two plus two is four um, because Jesus Christ is king and he created, um, you know, God created the world in such a way that two plus two is four. Well, thanks for listening to the first half of this conversation. We will be uploading the second half uh, next week. KJ has a lot more to say about his uh, projects. And uh, yeah, you won't want to miss it. See you next week.